have you ever heard of pulsar synthesis no i haven't at all what is yeah let me have a look at this all right pulsar synthesis is a method of electronic music synthesis based on the generation of trains of sonic particles whoa Together with Alberto DiCampo, the author has designed a program for pulsar synthesis called Pulsar Generator. Okay, now it's just selling me a thing. Yeah. Um, it sounds to me almost like it, you said it uh, It said a train of audio, of, of audio by generating like... Of, of sonic particles. Sonic particles. So that just it sounds is. to me a fancy way of saying it's it's a, it's a granular synthesis, like synthesizer. But it sounds like it's going to run a train on your track. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna run a sonic train through your mind. <laughs> yeah, dude. Hide, hide your wife. It's gonna run a sonic train through here. Welcome to the Mr. Bill podcast. I'm Anand Harsh, Bill's manager and editor in chief of the Unstock.com. I was just told by my friend. Not to think about this woman who was mauled by a bear in her tent. I don't know why he would tell me that before I record this intro and why he would tell me not to think about it. But now it's stuck in my head. And so hopefully now it's stuck in your head. Thanks to everyone who came out to the Kill Bill show at the Mish. We've got another one slated for Cervantes in September with a crazy huge lineup also presented by submission make sure that you get your tickets because that thing's going to sell out uh today's guest is tyler endicott aka chroma uh premiered a tune of his god four or five years ago now so i've been well aware of his stylings he's super talented a lot of fun and he and bill have a crazy interesting conversation i'm going to be doing these on the road recordings for a while because it's summer and we're going everywhere so please make sure you go to MrBillsTunes.com to sign up to become a hardcore Ableton here, become a better producer. And also you can find live tour dates on there and other various platforms. Stay up to date with all we're doing this summer and look out for more tour dates because they are coming in hot and heavy. Okay, enjoy this episode with Chroma. Hey, you're listening to the Mr. Bill Podcast. Hey, you're listening to the Mr. Bill Podcast. Hey, you are listening to the Mr. Bill Podcast. Hey, you're 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 well shit man thanks for coming on the podcast and sorry yeah, i'm uh late <laughs> yeah no worries i was up no writing worries. music really late late last night and i was like uh, should i set an alarm and i was like no nah, i don't need to set an alarm to wake up for midday i'll wake up for midday yeah and then next minute i woke up i'm like oh shit it's 10 past 12 <laughs> <laughs> yeah that often happens to me as well I had, I was just like chilling yesterday, just like ate some food and hung out at um, my management office uh, with some friends and like didn't stay. I was trying not to stay up too late because um, I work from home in the mornings. Got to get up a little bit early. So what kind of like work from home stuff do you do? Um, so I work in like property management and concierge services. Um, 
in Aspen, but I work from home. Uh, so it's a pretty flexible job. And uh, it's pretty part-time as well. It's mostly just mornings. Do you know much about HOAs? Uh, I don't. Damn, because I'm having to deal with that shit right now. <laughs> oh, yeah? Yeah, I mean, my What's girlfriend and I station? bought a house like uh, about, um, I don't know, a year ago. Yeah. And the whole building is like run under a HOA, <clears throat> which stands mm. for Homeowners Association. And right, essentially, it's like a, a board of people who kind of like govern a bunch of rules about the place. And it's like supposed to be a net positive for the for the building, right? Because, um, uh, you know, you want to stop shit like one person painting their apartment like pink and then like another person painting their apartment orange and then like somebody storing like 20 dead broken cars out the front and like all this kind of of shit like by making all of that shit illegal via the hoa or the homeowners association you kind of like keep everybody's property value up but at the same time there's like a bunch of fees and dues and shit that we need to like get and there's one guy in our building who's been like a complete asshole about it and basically i've had to like take over all these hoa duties and <laughs> it's oh a, you've had to take them over a, a little bit i'm like just starting to and it's really complicated and if anybody oh, listening yeah. to this podcast knows is a hoa guru hit me up because i need the help yeah i'm not super familiar i mostly just like help people um, book trips and stuff in the Colorado area and like book activities and stuff part-time. Um, mm. and then the rest of the time just working on music and kind of learning visual stuff slowly throughout the year. Nice. Are you using Blender? I sure am. Oh, yeah, cool. right now I'm using Blender and I just started using a new render engine called Luxcore. Um, mm. I'm sure if you're probably familiar with that, if you're familiar with Blender, but, um, it does a really good job of like, uh, refractions and lighting caustics. Um, and it kind of has this cool like light tracing feature. Um, so it does a good job of simulating light and I've been messing around with that, trying to get some cool results, but it's kind of slow going. What's the, like, what is a render engine? I know like a, the very, very basics of Blender. Cause I like started dipping my toes into it at the start of the pandemic. I, I think yeah. like a lot of artists had this idea at the start of the pandemic. They're like, oh yeah, I'm going to totally like get into visuals and do all my visuals now as well. And yeah. then. I got like a couple of weeks into learning about it and I was like, you know what? I could probably just like put this energy into getting better at production. Yeah, um, absolutely. And I, I was definitely one of those people who was like, okay, now that I've got all this time, I should probably learn how to do something visually as well. And that's why I say it's slow going because at the beginning it was, yeah, it was just a lot. It's a big learning curve, I think. Um, but yeah, I was definitely one of those people who like, yeah, I wanted to kind of pick it up during quarantine because of all the extra time and stuff. Um, and I've been able to dedicate, you know, some time to it um, and been kind of consistent for a while and then kind of moved back to just focusing on music and stuff like that. So I kind of bounce back and forth. But um, yeah, a render engine is anything like that you're actually um, rendering or kind of um taking a, a a visual image of in that 3d space um so that's gonna like you know actually actually render the the image that you have um in different uh like in in different uh pixels or like at a different image size or like however so your your render engine is pretty much like how you set um all of your all of your settings for how the image is going to come out um and it, it's kind of the main um the main export tool for that image 
All right, uh, so it's kind of like an offline export tool, kind of like the Ableton export window or something. So it's kind of like it's kind of like the process of just exporting, um, except um, different render engines allow you to do different things, and they're kind of some are designed for um, you know quicker rendering, some are designed for more intense stuff. Um, and I'm still learning, obviously, um, so I might have butchered that explanation, but. Um, there's some engines that are native to Blender, um, those being like Cycles and Eevee. Um, Eevee is a render engine that um, is more is made for more real time. Um, so because it's 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 a lot faster when rendering like textures and materials and things like that with like a high polygon count. Um, and uh, Cycles is another render engine that's a little bit more accurate, um, but it's it's kind of slower and it renders. Um, you know, depending on how you how you set how you have it set, um, but it's it's a more realistic engine in in the end, um, but it takes a little bit more CPU and power. Mm. Damn. Yeah, that, <clears throat> this is exactly why I did not get into this stuff. It's complicated. <laughs> yeah, it can be. It can definitely be complicated. Um, yeah, I feel like with audio, like no matter what DAW you're in, it's just like you get the render engine, quote unquote. That is given yeah. to you with the program and like that's exactly. it right yeah. actually that's not quite true because you have like the ability to do stuff through summing buses um if you have like a metric halo or whatever too right so i guess you have these external options to some degree but um <clears throat> maybe not quite the same as a visual program yeah i basically yeah. got to the um What's like the first thing you do? It's like you take that monkey and turn it into a donut or something like that's <laughs> yeah. the first Blender <laughs> yeah. tutorial. That is, yeah, that is the uh, the level one Blender tutorial when you type in how to make something in Blender. It's like the, uh, yeah, the big donut. Yeah, the, the Taurus, I think they call <laughs> yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I did that one and I learned that the monkey's name is like Dolores Suzanne. or something. Suzanne, that's all right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, I so never finished just, that one. Yeah, got, did, did you go through like that whole Blender Fundamentals video course on YouTube I, or whatever? I did, yeah, at the beginning. Yeah, I didn't finish all the way through it, um, but I got most of the way through it, enough to like figure out how to poke around and, you know, do a few things. Or I was also really fascinated in like, because I'm such an audio guy and I kind of obsess over plugins, um, there's a lot of like add-ons that you can get for Blender uh, that speed up the process or help you know help you with modeling or help you with all sorts of stuff. So I got really into kind of uh, browsing the Blender marketplace uh, where they sell add-ons where creators develop and sell their own add-ons, um, and so that had kind of helped me learn how to do things a little bit faster in some ways because um, just the the native uh, software itself can be a lot of menu diving a lot of uh, kind of a lot of stuff to learn uh, initially mm. <clears throat> yeah i feel like um you can kind of go two routes with production i mean from i'm talking from a music perspective obviously because i don't really know what i'm doing with video but oh nice upscale mug i need to get one of those actually it's a it's a mug i got from chipotle and then i put an upscale sticker on it i took yeah. two upscale stickers and i cut the c out of one and then i made cup scale ah uh, so that's pretty cups, clever cup scale. <laughs> <laughs> nice i have this one that just has waveforms on it that one's sick too i like that yeah. one yeah perfect circuit sent this one to me big ups perfect circuit um <clears throat> gotta have a good mug 
yeah you need you need a good mug guess guess the power going for the day but uh what was i saying oh yeah i was saying um something about oh there's like kind of two ways that you can go with production you can either like get really really good at like the fundamentals of it and do everything from scratch or you can get like really good at learning what tools are available to you yeah um, definitely and i you know for instance uh in like music production you can get like insanely good at making kick drums out of operator or whatever or you can get insanely good at making like everything with operator like g jones went that route right um or you can you know get really good at just knowing what plugins are available to you and, and be like oh i just know that serum does this really well and i just know that kick two is really good at making kicks and i just know that like you know uh punch box is really good at making snares and like etc cetera, etc cetera. yeah absolutely um, and i feel absolutely. like it's when you're beginning it's probably almost worth um investing the time in just like taking the full lay of the land and seeing yeah <clears throat> seeing what's possible to you with all the technology available yeah absolutely and i find myself in audio production like going back and forth you know like a lot of times i will spend you know ages making the kick drum out of operator just you know so perfect but then at the same time um yeah, like I know that kick two can probably do such, you know, like such a thing, but you know, a lot faster or something like that. So, yeah. dude, kick uh, two is so sick. Um, for those is. listening who don't really know what it is, it's essentially like just everything you need to make a kick drum. It's a sine wave oscillator, uh, and you can there's just like a curve in the um, on the graph <clears throat> where you can just draw like a twenty kilohertz to twenty hertz like curve which is essentially what you want with a kick drum because you want like the the start of the the sine wave to be oscillating really quickly and then at the end of the sine wave you want it to be oscillating quite slowly um so it's just this really like elegant curve generator for a sine wave and then there's like three samplers attached to it that allow you to load in a bunch of clicks and they come with a bunch of clicks and hats so you can like layer them on top of this sine wave um and then there's like some basic effects in it like an eq to you know rebalance the kick tonally and then like a eq and a saturator to kind of like beef it up and all that kind of stuff and then there's i think like a harmonic generator as well down the bottom right of it where you can add like extra harmonics to the sine wave if you want to i love that it gives you a uh, a readout of the note in the uh pitch editor or in the pitch curve yeah exactly so like, you can like tune your kick exactly yeah, to the exactly. song as well which i think is super important if you want to like get everything sounding <clears throat> you know really exact because if you think about like what eq is which is essentially what you need to do to like mix a song right you need to like eq everything essentially what you're doing a lot of the time with eq is making sure that there's not wrong notes in things because like <clears throat> you know if you have a snare where the fundamental is in the key of the song let's say it's f but then it has like some secondary harmonic to it that's in like i don't know f sharp or something and that's making it sound dissonant quite often like you know with eq you'll pull that out or something just to kind of make it so it's not sounding <clears throat> all fucked up and uh dissonant musically so yeah i feel like it's really important with drums to just be able to fix those things from the start point yeah 100 percent. i've also found uh, a new <coughs> kick, uh synth that i've been using recently called bazism B-A-Z-Z-I-S-M. Yeah, that one's old school, the little orange thing. It's it's super old school, but I love it. I think it's great. I forget uh, who makes yeah. it. It's uh, Intelligent Sounds. Yeah. Yep. I use it all the time because it's such a quick... It's it's one of those tools that's like... 
everything's laid out for you very easily. It's not it's not complicated. You've got a few sliders and everything is very much dialed in. Um, and you can dial exactly like what frequency uh, the kick will end up resting on, how long the decay is, um, the amount of pitch and the transients, the amount of the time and decay of the transient and those sorts of things. But it's all laid out in, in, a, in a very like kind of plug and play way. Um, so I've been using that a lot as well, just kind of for like the main fundamental and then finding some like some type of sample or maybe like an acoustic layer to layer on top of that. Mm. Yeah, thanks for the reminder. I actually bought that plugin years ago and I just haven't installed oh, it again. Give <laughs> yeah, it a go. Yeah, I, I've used it a lot back in the day, especially when I was like making Psytrance because um, like when I was making yeah. Psytrance, that's kind of like the standard everyone in the scene uses bassism. Oh, really? Yeah, it's like the 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 tool for making kicks in the Psytrance community. Well, I'm I'm late to that because I just I just found it like a month or two ago maybe, but since mm. I found it, it's been I don't know. I like the I like how clean. Obviously, it just you know it's it's just a very clean sound, and you also have the option to kind of layer this little white noise on top of it. Well, these guys make a bunch of stuff. They make uh, EQism, EQism, <laughs> an, an equalizer plugin with filters of the second to the twentieth order. Damn, that's like a pretty hectic EQ. They have uh, Mango, which is the perfect mastering harmonic processor. They have Duck Delay, which is an echo machine with features you've never seen before. Never seen. They also have Kickzilla. Kickzilla. <laughs> which is uh, creates, I need kick. creates I need rumble for your techno kick drums. <laughs> okay, maybe I don't need Kickzilla. Yeah, maybe not. It seems like, you know that like weird low end? It's like all muddy and shit in techno songs. Yeah, it seems like that's what they're going for. <laughs> yeah, I think Kickzilla is the tool for that. Okay. You just want to add a ton of mud to your shit. Um, yeah, man, I got to check out this, this shit more. Pulsar synthesizer, nuclear. Oh, they make a synth called nuclear. It's a Pulsar train synthesizer. <laughs> that a, makes no sense. What is Pulsar synthesis? I've never heard of this. Have you ever heard of Pulsar Synthesis? No, I haven't at all. What is... Yeah, let me have a look at this. All right, Pulsar Synthesis is a method of electronic music synthesis based on the generation of trains of sonic particles. Whoa. Pulsar Synthesis can produce either rhythms or tones as it crisscrosses perceptual time spans. The basic method generates sounds similar to vintage electronic music sonorities, with several important enhancements. The advanced method combines multiple pulsar trains and convolution with sampled sounds. Together with Alberto DiCampo, the author has designed a program for pulsar synthesis called Pulsar Generator. Okay, now it's just selling me a thing. Yeah, um, it sounds to me almost like you said it. Uh, uh, it said a train of audio, of of audio by generating like of, of sonic particles. Sonic particles. So that just it sounds is. to me a fancy way of saying it's it's a it's a granular synthesis like synthesizer. But it sounds like it's gonna run a train on your <laughs> track. <laughs> I'm gonna run a sonic train through your mind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude. Hide, hide your wife. It's gonna run a sonic train through here. <laughs> um. I wonder I what these guys it. were thinking when, <laughs> when they went to kind of create that explanation. 
dude, I don't know. The same thing exists in granular though, right? Like they call um, all of the little grains or what do they call it? They call it, particles, yeah, I think they, right? they call it grains or particles and then they call yeah. like how long they are a window size. And then if you have or like grain tons size. of, yeah. And then if you have yeah. like a shitload of them together, they call it a cloud. Oh, okay. Which is, I guess, like where the name clouds came from for the Eurorack module. Right. For mutable, the mutable instruments one. Yeah. Which, yeah. in my opinion, I thought was the coolest shit ever for like a week. And then after using it a ton, I was like, this really just does like one thing to everything. Like it doesn't matter what you yeah. run through. It's like one of those tools where you just, whatever you put through it, it sounds like that. I did have the opportunity to have one around here for a month or so. And I found, I found that to be the, the, the same thing for me as well. Were you uh, running stuff out of your sound card from Ableton into it and then back in, or were you running? Yeah, you primarily. Yeah, nice, primarily yeah. I was running audio out and back in, and then just um, my buddy had uh, had let me borrow his Eurorack since he was uh, redoing his studio, and I uh, was able to play with some nice like tube modules and stuff like that. And he also had the Clouds module as well. Mm. The tube module he had was at Plasma Drive. It was not Plasma Drive, but I have messed with that one as well. And that also is kind of a one-trick pony, but it's sick, though. Yeah, it just looks really sick. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Almost um, for the for the look alone, it's kind of yeah. worth it. I, I believe it was called Metasonic's Ring Shaper. And it was, a tube, it was a tube ring shaper that had a very, very interesting tone. And as you increase the tone, it almost had this sort of balloon sound, like... <laughs> like kind of this very it all, it had a feed it had uh, a feedback and a tone and a drive um control and as you turn the tone up you're kind of you like tuning the the pitch of the feedback i believe um but it pushes these really really kind of interesting almost elastic balloon sounds through this tube um and we've had a ton of fun with that um, so that's been one module I like, I need to get for myself to have around all the time. Yeah. I actually just sold all of my modular. <clears throat> I didn't feel like there was any module that I needed around all the time anymore. Like after yeah. sampling it a bunch, I was just like, whatever. Yeah. Um, I kind of, yeah. I went through a phase where I wanted to like build a whole Eurorack synth and I felt like, you know, by the end of it, I was interested in so many other things that were right in front of me, you know? <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I um, I kind of feel like uh, having so much gear around me. I talked about this with um, Edit when he was on the podcast. Mm -hmm. uh, that having like too much gear around you can make you feel like guilty. Yeah. Um, if you're not using it all the time, you know. And yeah. I just had like so much modular shit and like synths and just all this crap sitting around mm -hmm. me that I was just never using. And I would always like come sit in the studio and every single day like maybe it would only be for a split second or maybe it would be for like, you know, 10 seconds or whatever, but yeah. I would like always look at it and like yeah. something would be like snap in my mind and be like, you should use that gear at some point. Oh, fuck, yeah. I have an alarm going off one sec. Oh yeah. I forgot to mention, um, and apologies in advance. I'm making bread, which means like every oh, half an hour awesome. I need to go and do a thing. Okay. Um, yeah. I'll be right back there. Oh, okay, cool. All right. Sick. Apologies. Yeah, no worries, man. Just hanging out with YouTube. <laughs> nice. Yeah, my uh, podcast editor, Robert, will probably just cut out these times where I go to do that. Yeah, hopefully. yeah. Yeah, no worries. <clears throat> um, but yeah, like I was saying, uh, I was just feeling really guilty having all of this you know, gear around me. And then I've actually found since selling it, um, 
I just walk into the studio now and there's like no other thing to do other than sit on my computer, right? And like turn yeah. my speakers on and like work on music. And I've just found that to be like a way more streamlined process <clears throat> for me personally. Yeah, definitely. I think it can be intimidating too when you walk into a studio and it's like so, there's so much gear that it's like almost a bit like uncomfortable, like it's unnatural in a way, you know? I've mm -hmm. always like, I've grown up writing music in like a bedroom you know and um so in in some way like um for me i i kind of prefer to have my studio at home especially um like i know a lot of producers do like having a separate workspace from their home um but for me it's like having the ability to you know roll out of bed and go into a different room and be in a studio is like it's it's just very nice um you know and as opposed to like having to go somewhere and kind of feeling like you know, if there's a ton of gear around that you're not using, that you're not using the studio to the fullest of its capacity, you know. Mm. So your your current studio that you're in now is just a separate room in your house. Yeah, correct. Yeah, I um, I live on the, I live with Nolan. I live on the top floor, um, and then yeah, I have a separate bedroom from my studio. <clears throat> nice. That's that yeah. Denver rent right there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> have separate rooms and shit. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, it's nice. It's it's a good amount of space. I mean, we're kind of we're 20 minutes north of Denver, so we're kind of in the, in the suburbs a bit, but um, get that extra space. I lived in Chicago for the last five years and um, was definitely keen to have you know more space to spread out and be kind of out in the mountains and a little bit more quiet area. Mm -hmm. mm, yeah, totally. Uh, what is all the paneling you have there? Is that GIK stuff or is that like stuff you built? Yeah, no, it's uh, it's all custom stuff that we built. Um, actually, yeah, uh, Nolan's uh, stepdad helped me build um, all of the stuff and helped me hang it. And um, yeah, it's all just uh, rock wool and and framing and um, fabric. Nice. Yeah, I actually yeah. just started repaneling my room. You can see that behind me there's yeah some black shit, but then there's also like a bunch of yellow shit. Oh, okay. Um, so the black shit is GIK stuff, which I'm actually nice. just getting rid of, and then the blue stuff in the corner and the yellow stuff here is new stuff that I'm that I'm putting in now. How come and you've decided to get rid of GIK? Because it's uh, mainly it was the color. Um, I kind of oh, okay. got sick of the black panels. Like it just yeah. makes the room feel really small and congested. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, part of the reason I think I got rid of a lot of my modular stuff and whatnot is because. I just kind of got sick of like having this really congested feeling Cramped studio. Space. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I didn't want this little cockpit that I feel like you know. And I wanted, I just wanted this like big kind of yeah, like wooden open space that I can just chill in. There's like a massive window next to me and shit. It's like the kind of opposite vibe that I've always had in studios. And <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, As you can see, my studio's kind of small and dark. <laughs> I mean, that's the like classic studio vibe, yeah. right? It's like that small, yeah. dark, very claustrophobic paneled vibe with just like gear all around you and shit yeah and i kind of wanted to go like the opposite direction with it because i just feel like um definitely i don't know I, I i just feel better in a space where there's you know a lot more room and definitely yeah, you know. yeah. Um, so yeah that's I, try to, I try to keep my uh my desk clear to give like i feel like a clear desk is kind of uh a clear mind you know so i try mm. to keep my i try to like clear my desk space um, and my room is, is a bit smaller, so I kind of have to work with the space that I have and, you know, adding all of that sound treatment did kind of tighten it up a little bit. Um, but I mostly keep it pretty simple with just a keyboard and a push on the desk. Uh, and the desk is pretty large, you know, so I'm able to just kind of have that space as well to, uh, to spread out on if I need to. 
Yeah, nice. Yeah, I do the same. I have like pretty much nothing on my desk except my mouse and keyboard. Yeah. Um, and it's uh, interesting how that kind of plays into like your your psychology or like the the way that you like the way that you feel when you sit down. You know. Yeah, there's like shit everywhere. You might feel like rushed or something. Yeah. Or you might feel like. Yeah. Or just like yeah, like you like, don't know what to work on first or something like that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, agreed. Probably like subconsciously <clears throat> to some degree. Yeah, it is kind of weird. Hey, how like your space can just like change the vibe of shit that you're working on right then and there. A lot of exactly. stuff like that. I think it's interesting too. I've been thinking a lot about like the psychology behind like how people experience electronic music and like how is like the psychology by like how us as producers, how we experience it as well. And I think it's interesting because like one of the primary reasons electronic music excites people so much is because they don't necessarily understand it, but it also gives them something to relate to, to a degree. And I kind of found like, as a, like growing up listening to electronic music and then, you know, becoming a producer and spending some years at that and kind of maturing and growing it's interesting as like you know sort of once once you once you get to understanding the way that everything's done and you know you've you're, you've you've dived into production for some amount of years how um specific sounds will uh you know you'll hear them in a different way or almost experience them different because you understand the way that they were created. And it's almost a different, like the mystery is somewhat um, resolved as a producer. Once you start like understanding the way that everything's done. And um, yeah, I think it's like, it's interesting to compare that as well to the consumer's experience or the listener's experience. Um, and like, as, as a listener, how they grow, what sounds become, you know, familiar to them or you know and like what what sounds continue to excite people and the way that you could like continue pushing the bar and sound design and and arrangement as well Mm. but but it's also interesting to know like i think there's a very important aspect of giving people something that they can relate to at the same time you know and a lot of times that comes in the form of like drums or like rhythm and groove that you can follow um but yeah i don't know what do you what do you think yeah, I agree with you. I think like um, people generally will uh, gravitate towards things that feel natural to them and feel familiar to them and feel like unchallenging to them Yeah. because it's just more comfortable to do that. Um, yeah. Like for instance, I think we like uh, the sound of vocals a lot and we mm-hmm. like the sound of vocal sounds a lot, you know, like yeah. basses that have a lot of form in, in them and stuff like that kind of sound yeah, vocal. And um, I think naturally people will remember those sounds more. Right. Um, which I think is like partially why people like Tipper's music so much. It's just also vocal. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, you know, like a lot of you know, stuff with heav- heavily sampled vocals in it, I think, um, you know, people gravitate towards that stuff a lot as well. And uh, yeah, definitely, I think like whatever is familiar to us, um, it makes us feel comfortable and unchallenged and we'll always... Uh, gravitate towards that stuff right. more you know like the extreme examples of stuff we don't gravitate towards is like noise music right which is yeah you know just the opposite of uh rhythmic or vocal <laughs> right it's just like pure white noise and yeah but i find it interesting as well that like that is you know 
that's people do tend to gravitate towards that. But in in the realm of electronic music, a lot of people also fall in love with it because it's like something that they they don't quite understand yet, you know, when they first hear it or like um, it, it kind of like captures their attention because it's like, you know, some sound that's primarily they're unfamiliar with. And it's like, whoa, how is it? You know, how is this being done? Where is it? You know, like it's a new thing to them. And I feel like a lot of times, you know, that's like, at least for me, that's kind of what drew me in was like, I had never heard sounds like this before. And that was very interesting to me. But at the same time, I was able to relate to like the drum groove of like a, you know, like a hip hop tune or something that I could like dance to and follow to. Um, and that's kind of why I fell in love with it. And it was like the mystery and the the excitement of hearing new sounds. Um, and so I think like for me, my primary focus is to kind of explore that, continue to explore that, you know, in sound design and, and in music in general. Uh, as in like you want to keep enough stuff there that feels normal and uh, relatable in your music, but then add in just moments of things that are slightly different and interesting enough to draw people in yeah to a degree or just you know um coming to understand that balance between the two you know or just kind of playing with that balance experimenting with that that you know between like having giving people things that they're familiar with and giving things that people might be uncomfortable with or that might make them think or consider you know what a listening experience is supposed to be you know Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think there's a lot of crazy shit you can do in electronic music that's almost subconscious to a degree that is not possible to do in the real world that really piques the interest of our ears and our brains. Right. Like, for instance, um, there's this thing I heard some guy say the other day on some Ableton tutorial. He was like, oh, you should violate space. And what he meant by that was, like, um, you can do weird shit with reverb, right? Like, you can have... Mm -hmm like three drums happen consecutively and all of them can have a completely different reverb on them. Like one can sound like it's in a bathroom. The next one can sound like it's, you know, outside and the next one can sound like it's in some big arena. Right. Uh, or you can do other things, um, where you can like, uh, hit like a drum or whatever and have like a reverb tail that like sounds like it's extremely long, but then just like cuts off completely. Yeah. Yeah, Um, absolutely. I love, I love that feeling as well. Yeah, Um, exactly. And I think stuff like that really piques our our brain's interest because it's something that's like not like it's something that we we're used to hearing in the real world, Mm -hmm. but it's being violated in some way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, No, I like, I like that term. Like, it, it, it like to kind of break the rules of space of what, you know? Yeah, exactly. And I think that's kind of what you're saying about other things too, right? It's like, yeah, the same, absolutely. The same with like vocal sounding basses. It's like, yes, this is a voice, but it's not a voice. Like it's, right. it's exactly. a voice that's doing something that a voice shouldn't be able to do. Yeah, um, exactly. And yeah, yeah, just exploring. Yeah. Just kind of like exploring the balance between like, you know, what people can be familiar with and enjoy and like pushing, you know, pushing sounds kind of to their capacity, um, or, you know, just find like exploring new, uh, new directions and kind of seeing what works on the dance floor and what doesn't, you know, um, and just kind of continue to try to find sounds that are unfamiliar to me, you know, and, you know, likely, or hopefully, you know, other people experience those and, and enjoy them. Yeah. That's always, fun right it's like finding the balance between um what could be considered like listenable and enjoyable music yeah versus like 
what is just starting to become too much of a sound design wank yeah absolutely too much of a production yeah and like i'm i you know i'm totally one of those people like i enjoy all of that you know like i enjoy a good you know sound design based tune you know where it's just like fuck off sound design but um yeah i like i kind of yeah i like appreciate all of all of the bits in between as well you know Right. Yeah, we were talking about this the other day with the volume EP, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like you, you're saying you're a big fan of it. And I, I'm yeah, a absolutely. massive fan of it, but I also I think it falls into that category of just like complete sound design madness. Um, yeah. And there's like a lot of parts of that EP where he'll like start getting into some sort of groove or a mm-hmm. uh, vibe and it'll just be like that for like a bar or two and then it'll completely change. And yeah. <laughs> there's so many sections in those songs where I'm like, fuck, man. Like if you just yeah. hung around on that section for like, I don't know, 16 bars or something, like it <laughs> yeah, would just be yeah. so satisfying. Yeah. But um, I actually, it's funny because I talk about this with Nolan a lot too, about just like infinite riffage when you're just like, you know, you're just like going off into kind of a million different areas and like... Um, yeah, I, I I I do really enjoy that as well though. In in maybe in just, you know, from a producer perspective sitting in my studio enjoying just listening to a thousand different riffs, you know. Um but I definitely think that there is um you know, there is it's it's important to be able to, you know, kind of uh settle on ideas, you know, and and have a a theme throughout the tune and a lot of the tunes that like you know i've fallen in love with um the most have been things that were you know kind of this consistent thing the whole time that sort of changed and evolved but you know the main kind of hook or groove was something that you know was followable and and catchy and like something that i could really like keep going with you know yeah well i think like you know, stuff like volumes EP, it's like ear candy, right? It's like fun to listen to. There's like a lot there to, to like listen to. Yeah, I But love I it. think um, stuff like, you know, maybe John Hopkins albums or some of Tipper's albums or something, they're more like they are ear candy as well, but they're more like emotion candy. Mm-hmm. Like there's just a lot there to vibe with. Yeah. I feel yeah. like that stuff's always going to be a little more powerful. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I love John Hopkins. I love Tipper. Um, and I think... Uh, I want to also kind of explore, you know, a more um, down tempo or maybe a more just a more um, conceptual side of of writing music uh, as well. I think a lot of the tunes that I write have been kind of dance floor tunes, and um, I am very like very very much inspired by you know live sound systems and and dance floors. Um, but I also have like just a lot of ideas that I want to express um, that might not be, you know perfectly for that that platformer or in that situation you know yeah i feel like um yeti uh, is one of the people who um does really interesting things with taking uh you know like what a sound system can do and uh <laughs> and exploring it a lot like for instance yeah absolutely he, he has that song uh crack the window mm-hmm. and it's literally just like a 20 hertz like 808 and then like a 20 kilohertz like synth line and there's like nothing in between yeah yeah um but that space between those frequencies is like it 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 does you know it does a lot it's interesting to think about like the way that a sound system reacts um based on you know what frequency is playing at what time and what you know and 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 the lack thereof you know Mm. 
Yeah. Uh, I also think Yeti's music is interesting in the sense that um, this is something that Liquid Stranger told me. Uh, he was like, I think Yeti's stuff sounds so good live because it's so dry. Like mm -hmm. there's not a lot of reverb on it. Um, and when you listen to it in a studio, sometimes you can be like, it can sound a little bit like it's too dry. But when you hear it live, it sounds kind of perfect because there's all that extra reverb being applied by the room. Mm -hmm. And then it like automatically sounds a little cleaner than everyone else's yeah. music. Yeah, I'm really keen on clean music as well. Like um, I definitely like a good, a good clean mix down for sure. Yeah, the problem is that like what I would consider a clean mix down in the studio is like very different, I think, than what I would consider a clean mix down, you know, in a club on a big sound system or something. Yeah, I totally know what you mean. And like it's hard because, you know, it's not like you can just always listen to your music on a sound system before, you know, before you run out with your USBs. Yeah, exactly. Um, so what, what have you been working on lately? Have you been trying to make like an album or an EP or? Yeah, so I'm writing an EP right now. Um, it's kind of untitled at the moment, but, uh, yeah, I've been, I'm working on an EP and, um, got some, some, some shows coming up, some dates coming up in the summer and fall. Um, so yeah, just kind of working on getting my EP finished up and then hopefully going to try and maybe write a little bit longer of a project. Um, try to do like maybe, maybe an album of sorts. Um, but yeah, right now just kind of trying to flesh out this, uh, this four track EP. Did you know on the mind warp management website, if you click on your name? Yes. Promo, yeah. I know it doesn't go, it, it doesn't to go to the right. <laughs> yeah, I know. I gotta, I, I gotta just... tell them that I forgot to tell them that. <laughs> Uh, even if I type Chroma in the URL, it doesn't go. That's bad web development right there. <laughs> yeah, who is MindWarp Management? Oh, it's uh, it looks like it's Tank and Tynan. Oh, Tynan used to be my agent, I think, at nice. Madison House. Yeah, yeah, Tynan um, used to work at Madison House. Yeah, how is it being managed by these dudes? It's great. Um, yeah, I mean, we they're local in Denver, um, so their office is here, um, and they've got you know, a great setup there. It's a beautiful office and some great workspace for all the artists that are, that are involved as well. So that's, it's, it's a really nice space to, to meet and work and, and do all of that. And yeah, uh, things have been great so far. I've been really enjoying it. That's cool. So it's like they have a studio there or something. Yeah, there's, uh, there's f three or four studios there. Um, and yeah, that's, uh, so some of them are, um, specific for artists like, um, Andy Immersive has a studio there, and then the other three studios are available for uh, kind of for all the artists to use. Cool, that's awesome. Yeah, um, yeah, they they have been in the management game for a few years, but it seems like they're they're getting their shit down. Yeah, yeah, it's a good cool. team. Yeah, cool. How did you uh, get hooked up with them? Well, so I moved here. Uh, from Chicago, like about a year ago, almost now. Uh, it seems like it wasn't so long ago, but yeah, it's almost been a year. Um, they were working with some of my close friends who I was, um, yeah, close with from Chicago, um, other producers. Um, and so, yeah, because they were really close with some of my friends and they were working with them, I kind of got introduced to them and um, introduced to what they were doing. And um, yeah, things just kind of went from there.
Nice. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely important to have like a good agency slash good management yeah. behind you. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I've been working with submission as well for like the past four years and that's, that's been wonderful. So yeah, it's the combination of, of that has been great. That when you get like the right agent behind you, your fees just like instantly double. Yeah. Uh, like for instance, um, I don't want to name names, but, uh, yeah, basically if you, if your agent like doesn't have the ability to essentially flex artists from the rest of their roster, uh, the, they can kind of get pushed over. It seems like when making deals for you, but like, you know, let's say an artist, uh, an agent has an artist to flex that's massive. Like let's say Skrillex's agent. Right. Um, and then let's say some festival wants to book like you chroma and that same agent also has the ability to choose where Skrillex plays. They can be like, oh, we want to give Chroma like, you know, $2,000. And then the agency would just instantly be able to be like, no, you're going to give him $5,000 or you can't book Skrillex. And then yeah. instantly the festival will be like, oh, well, done. You know, like I want to book Skrillex. So like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. Crazy, like how that kind of thing can exist in the music industry, right? It's like such a fucking game of, I don't know, like poker or something. It's like everyone's whole, I don't know. It's, the music industry yeah. is super weird, man. It is, man. Like I, yeah, I try to just focus on making tunes, you know. Unfortunately, um, you can't though. Like part of the yeah. job is this other <laughs> yeah. bullshit yeah. politics crap. It is definitely, um, but I'm definitely like stoked on the people that I'm working with, you know, and um, comfortable where I'm at. So, you know, it's important. I feel like that's the mo most important thing too. If you're, you know, if you're going to take on, you know, those, those things. Mm, totally. So uh, wh when do you expect your EP to be finished slash released? Probably within the next like month or two, I would say probably like two months. Cool. Um, but I don't have a specific, I don't have a specific date for it set. Um, but I'm working on like four to five tracks. Nice. Do you, do you like try to set, um, hard dates to be finished with things? Yeah, absolutely. Um, but I've also kind of been giving myself a little bit of, um, a little bit of freedom just because, you know, over the last year it's been, um, sort of, uh, you know, ups and downs with, uh, inspiration, you know, uh, I think a lot of people went through that, but, um, yeah, I think usually, you know, I've, the last, the last tune that I released was with, um, with bass rush. Um, and I did a single with spades, um, called shook. Um, that one just came out like a couple, maybe a month, maybe a two ago. Um, but as far as my personal projects, I usually give myself, you know, some freedom so that I can make sure that it's, you know, something that I'm really stoked on and something that I'm really, you know, proud of. And it usually ends up being that I spend the most amount of time on those things. So, you know, dates can kind of change. Yeah, I feel you, man. I like set a like pretty hard cutoff for me to be finished with my album <clears throat> uh, this time. And uh, I'm happy with it. Like the album's good. And we're just like wrapping up all the masters now. But uh, it uh, it was, yeah, definitely I like put it down before I was like 100% happy with it because I just, I will never be 100% happy, you know, like, yeah. So, so instead I find I kind of have to set myself a date where I'm like, as 
you know, by June 31st, however good it is by that date is like how it's going out basically. Yeah. Yeah. Because, yeah. I, I respect like, I that could, a lot as well. Yeah. Cause I could spend until July 31st or August 31st or September 31st or whatever. Of course. Yeah. And it's only going to get like, you know, 1% better. And it's only probably going to get 1% better in my eyes. Like in other people's eyes, it's, they probably won't tell the difference. Like they'll listen to both versions and be like, it's zero percent better. It's the exact same bill. Like, yeah. <laughs> what are you even doing at this point? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So I find I just have to put it down at some point. Yeah. Um, it's definitely a mental um, game that, you know, you have to play with yourself. Uh, kind of like trying to decide whether or not you're happy with what you've got or, you know, if you want to keep pushing, you know, new ideas. A lot of times I'll find myself just writing whole like new sections and, and, and doing all sorts of shit, like really late on in the process. And it's like, you know, how far did I need to go to just go back to the first riff that I had? Right. And then at some point yeah. you also have to ask yourself, like, is this better because it's better or is this just better because it's different? You know, like, yeah, am I just 100%. enjoying this more because it's like a different thing because i haven't not... listened to it a thousand times yeah exactly like am yeah. i just less sick of this thing or like is it actually yeah. a better tune um so it's always yeah really hard to call yourself on shit like that too because i mean what is better is totally subjective and yep. down to the moment as well right like if something yeah you know, this is exactly how like dj sets work like certain tracks become better in the set just because they're different from the track that was before it and yeah, you know, on their own they might be like a pretty boring track, but like in a set they might be a really interesting track that like ties two other tracks together really well or something like yeah, that. Yeah, because of the dichotomy of what was played before or Yeah, exactly, because it's yeah. like contrasting and stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So that kind of stuff like always <laughs> fucks with me in the in the album finishing process, but Right. Yeah. And that kind of goes you... back to what we were talking about earlier as well with like sound systems and like, you know, hearing something live and having that stick out more because it's because it's different from what you were just listening to or what you've heard up until that moment. Yeah. Do you um <clears throat> ever get to like the end point of a track where you're like, all right, this is finished and feel like it's like extremely sick? <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I think so. <laughs> I'd like to think so. Uh, nice. it's definitely like, you know, you can, I definitely listen to my music by the time I'm done writing the tune, I've heard it a lot of times, you know? Um, but yeah, I definitely can finish tunes and be like, I'm stoked on this for sure. Um, and I think I'm trying to also like, if for, you know, for the longest time, like when you start writing music, it, it's it's really just about like having fun, you know, as you're writing. And, um, I think it gets, you know, as you, as you mature and grow, it gets, you know, more serious. And I'm trying to kind of like get back mentally in the same space of just like having fun and trying like new ideas and doing things that I haven't tried before, you know? Um, because I feel like some of the, you know, the, the best and the most fun things that I've written were, you know, when I was just like, when I didn't know what I was doing or, you know, like some of the coolest results of things are like absolute mistakes, you know? So, right. Yeah, I'm trying to, 
yeah, I'm trying to like get back to having fun and exploring with like things that I'm still unfamiliar with or doing exercises, like specifically working an hour a day on something that I'm bad at or, mm. um, you know, trying like a, you know, a new plugin or like thinking about just, you know, whatever processing chain that I'm creating, like just trying not to do it the same way every time or that sort of thing. Yeah, that's a great habit to get into for sure. Uh, I should definitely do that more. Vibe Squad has a really cool habit that he does too, whereas like every morning when he wakes up, he uh, digests a new tutorial from mm -hmm. YouTube. Like just the yeah. first thing every morning when he's like having his coffee, he just watches a 20-minute tutorial or whatever. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> yeah, and I thought that was a really good thing to do. Uh, yeah. which I should probably do more often. It's um, it's also pretty difficult to like sit there and be like what would I not do? <laughs> like mm. what should I do that I don't that I wouldn't do right now, you know? Right, like it's, it's like kind of challenging. Yeah, the mechanics that you would need to think of that would be the exact same mechanics that would have allowed you to do that thing in the first place. Precisely, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's kind of yeah, like a bit of a paradox. Yeah. This is why collaborating with people is good cuz they often think of shit that you would never have thought of. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I find I get to the end of the process with writing music, and uh, this is something that Hero Bus said, and I feel pretty much the same. It's like if I get to the end and I feel like it's really fucking sick, then I know I'm, I've done something wrong. I know that I just haven't like spent enough time with it, basically. <laughs> because like <laughs> like if there's any point where i'm like this is fucking amazing <laughs> oh fuck this alarm's going hold on i'll be right back okay, yeah go get your bread <laughs> all right yeah yeah i feel like if i um if if a track i'm like this is the coolest fucking track ever then i just have not spent enough time like mixing it or like yeah. editing it or messing around with it. And usually those tracks that I feel that way about, if I just leave them sitting there for like a month and then come back and listen to them again, I'm like, yeah, this is like not a finished tune. This is, <laughs> this is yeah. like a half finished tune or whatever. Because yeah. there's always that point, right? Like at the start where you're like really vibing on something. Right, of course. Like, this is fucking sick. But like you're also so like blinded, I think, by the fact that it's just a new idea. You know, 100%. the same way that like yeah. in a set or whatever, you, you listen to something and you hear it like once and you're like, that's the sickest shit ever. But like, yeah. and I mean, if you're only ever going to listen to the tune once, then that's great. But like, <laughs> you yourself as an artist have to listen to it thousands of times, you know, like yeah. first of all, when you're making it. And then second of all, like you're going to have to play it in sets all the time. Um, so, yeah, it's a... Yeah, and I think that's why I said I'd like to think that I do, you know, but mm. I think once you've spent enough time with it, it becomes, uh, it's another one of those things, like kind of what I was talking about earlier, it becomes, you know, almost like the, the mystery of it or the excitement of it kind of is like, you've heard it so many times that you, you understand the idea, you know, and if, if you've finished it, then it's likely that you've spent, you know, dozens of hours banging your head against the wall to get it right. So, um, it might kind of lose its, uh, novelty by the end of it, perhaps, but, uh, I think it sort of makes up for it in the moments when you're like performing it or something like that. And you can, you know, really have that experience and share that experience with like a ton of people, you know? Um, mm. So, yeah, it's kind of, yeah, it's one of those labors where it's like, by the end of it, you might be crazy and you might, you know, not, not feel the same way about it. But then, you know, in that moment when you get to share it with people and they're receiving it in like, you know, in, in, in such a, 
such an exciting way. It like kind of makes up for all of that hard work that kind of drove you nuts. Oh yeah, yeah. I definitely don't think it's not worth it. Yeah. I just think it's yeah, it's hard to get to the end of an album and be like, this is oh, really yeah. sick. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, a hundred percent. It's almost like you need to finish an album and then just like beat yourself in the head with like a uh, like a small bat or something and like give yourself amnesia and then like listen to it yeah. i feel like um usually what i try to do is just not listen to the album after it's out for a few months and then mm -hmm. if i can uh if i'm not like playing shows surrounding the album yeah and then uh listen to it like a couple of months later and then i, I can usually have like a little bit more of an objective opinion about it yeah i find it really valuable when i'm listening to my music to like uh to do it in in spaces that are outside of my studio or outside of like my my house um because i feel like when i listen to music if i'm on like a bus or if i'm in the car or if i'm on you know an airplane or whatever i can i almost listen to it more objectively than i would if i was sitting in my studio um it's, it's it kind of puts me in the space of thinking about it in a way that somebody else might perceive it instead of like super personally from you know fr from my home or from my studio mm -hmm. um it's interesting to me because like when i'm especially when i'm in transit uh if i listen to like if i'm like listening to what i've done the night before or something like that i oftentimes can be a little bit more objective um when i'm listening to it yeah do you ever get that experience where like you'll be listening to something in your studio and you'll be like this is fucking sick and then like somebody else will come into your studio and you'll play it for them and then you like are all self-conscious about certain sections oh like, of think, course certain things are like way too cheesy and you're like oh man like this is like actually not as good as i thought it was of course of course yeah, yeah. what is what is that <laughs> that's like <laughs> i feel like maybe it's being like it's like you become more self-conscious of the music. Yeah, because it's because it's like such a new idea, you know, or because it's like, yeah, you become like extra self-conscious, but you're like really excited about it because it's that new idea, you know, and then like somebody walks in the room and it's like, oh, this is I haven't worked on this for that long. Like, <laughs> don't you don't judge me like, oh, yeah, I just I just started this like. You know, don't ignore ignore the intro. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I get it even with finished tracks though. Like for instance, yesterday I went to a warehouse in Oakland, and this guy wanted to show me this sound system that he like literally built. It's like this really intelligent <laughs> crazy. guy. I've had him on the podcast before. His name's Anthony Bassett, and he like builds these crazy speakers for this company called Mobius. Okay. And um, he was like, "Oh yeah, like let's listen to one of your tunes on here." And it was one of like the finished tunes from my album. And I don't know, like I put it on and as soon as i was listening to it i was like oh i fucking like hate this tune <laughs> like, <laughs> as soon as i like start showing my music to other people and i'm like around the other people who are yeah. listening to it i'm like oh man like this needs to be different this is like shitty yeah. and, or if you're ever at like a party and your music starts playing and it's, it's just like yeah it's like uh, all awkward uh, <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah it's kind of weird why. that you you like don't want to listen to your music in that setting but then like you're comfortable with with being the one that provides it in a, in a party setting you know well i think like part like you don't want to like consume it hide, but you can hide behind the idea of a dj set because like yeah a lot of people may not know that the track you're playing is yours maybe or yeah perhaps so you can kind of be like oh this is just a song of a random miscellaneous variety 
what yeah. do you think of this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, Is this okay? <laughs> yeah, but also I guess like uh, you can get pretty self-conscious about playing other people's tracks in sets too, especially like when people are tagging you in the Instagram stories and shit afterwards. And then it's all- not yours. Yeah, when all the tags are like, oh, this is so sick, and it's like all of them are not your tunes. <laughs> you're like, God damn it. Why is it, why is it also like that a lot of times when you're playing your tunes out, or like, like I put, well, for me at least, I play like primarily original sets, but then like I'll mix in, you know, quite a few of like my friends' tunes as well. But it's like oftentimes like I'll have, I'll have worked on the tunes in the set kind of like up until I, play the set and then when i play somebody else's tune i'm like getting almost more excited about that and like getting down or like more comfortable to play that than like the thing that i just like spent hours working on before i got there you know what i mean because it's like almost a little bit you're like oh i don't know if like this is gonna go off the the way that i hoped or you know it's almost like a little bit like slightly more self-conscious because it's like something you were just working on or whatever Mm, yeah totally but then if that goes off it's like then that is like a very satisfying feeling too you know it's like risk versus reward like (laughs) you know like getting a good crowd reaction from something that you just wrote the night before is also incredible too so yeah totally have you done any shows since uh the pandemic thing uh stopped happening i guess it's still kind of somewhat happening but i think it's yeah um i played boulder theater with mersive Um, and I kind of have been, um, been around doing some, you know, some BTBs here and there. And, um, but yeah, I've got some, some stuff that we're lining up for the summer that I'm really excited about too. So cool. How'd the Boulder theater show go? It was good. I'd never played in Boulder before. It's Boulder is beautiful. It's so beautiful. I wish I, I, I wish I could like spend more time there i mean i can it's i only live like 20 minutes away but i wish i lived there because it's so beautiful um but yeah, like, it is, yeah it is nice yeah um but yeah it was good man it was good i hadn't pl- it was interesting because it was like in a theater but there were still like roped off sections because it was still during the time when at, at the time there it was still like um seated arrangements um so kind of interesting to be in like a theater with with tables but Mm. really excited now that uh everything is has opened back up really yeah it's kind of crazy how fast it happened right i was like uh surely we're gonna just like ease into this over time but it was like nope just bam one one to a (laughs) hundred yeah zero zero to a hundred whatever the saying is yeah yeah i think um people were ready for it you know after a year and i think uh, you know the people that were were vaccinated were just like you know ready to ready to go so yeah i mean i think people were ready to go before they were vaccinated you know oh for sure yeah a bunch of little shows happening um, yeah even still people before people were vaccinated dude i've been like fucking concerned about the amount of people i've been seeing who just won't get the vaccine it's kind of like yeah especially in the uh like electronic music community because a lot of people in that community are kind of like hippies and wooks and shit and they like are the biggest conspiracy theorists anyway right um and then there's like you know like conspiracy theorists surrounding uh the vaccine about you know people thinking it's fucking bill gates microchipping everyone and all this yeah stuff. yeah for me it was just like i as a producer and as you know 
as a DJ, I, and as somebody who like, you know, I want to get back to doing everything just as much as everybody else did, you know, or does. So I, I wanted to be a part of the solution of like how we're going to, you know, get things, you know, back to the way that, you know, they were to a degree. So, uh, if the solution was, you know, getting a vaccine, I, you know, I'm willing to do that. If that means that, you know, we can continue going about our careers and, you know, and, and building everything that we were working on for, for so many years. So, yeah, totally. What, I, uh, I, what vaccine did you get? The Pfizer vaccine. Uh, nice. The Lamborghini. Yeah. Oh, is that is that what it is? Is that the the high class vaccine? Yeah, <laughs> like I, I got like, lucky then, I guess. Yeah, the Moderna is like the Rolls Royce, and then like the Johnson and Johnson is like a like a nice Camry. <laughs> okay, all right. <laughs> I'll take a nice Camry, man. I I am not picky about cars. <laughs> it's like a good quality, like you know, one owner only, two thousand and five, but like no dense camera. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. Does the sun? Does the AC work? <laughs> the AC is like you know, it'll work on on occasion. If it gets too hot, it stops work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like when you need it most. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <It's on. laughs> um, yeah, yeah, I mean. Yeah. It's, you know, I think ultimately, like, it was definitely a hard year for everybody. And I think a lot of people just don't know what to believe anymore, you know? And a lot of people, it's hard to know nowadays with, like, the way the information is given to us. It's, there's so many different sources of information. Like, it's, it, it's almost impossible now to know what's true and what's false. And I think that's one of the things that's kind of, like, slightly concerning for the future is that like the way that we consume news and understand facts and understand like what's happening in the world is very skewed because it comes from so many different sources and like those you know all of those sources probably have a different take on that and so it's hard to i i think as 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 like a human race or as humanity it eventually will become very difficult to decide on uh, on what what's true you know surely this has to be like a net good though right of like getting your news from many sources that rather than one source right because if all your news comes from one source like it did back in the day then they can just feed you whatever narrative exactly yeah yeah and there's 100%. nothing you can do about it right whereas i agree like, with that as well yeah whereas this way it's like yes you can get your news from a lot of sources though a lot of the sources are probably just people's opinion pieces you know right um which is like you know obviously hard to you got to take those with a grain of salt but um yeah yeah, I mean, I think like having non-profit organizations giving you news uh, right. alongside yeah. the big media like CNN and all that crap and, you know, then obviously being able to get news directly from scientists on Twitter and all that kind of stuff, I think is like kind of net positive for humanity. Yeah, I think so too. I think, I, I guess in that regard, I, I would say I agree. I think it's just, especially during the last year, I, I thought that a little bit. It's like, you know, it, because it was so hard to even know what uh you know what was real or what was true or false about what was happening in the world um it's kind of an interesting thought to think of you know like how we consume news how we understand it and how we all agree to what's true and what's false um you know is largely shaped by you know where we where we go to consume that information yeah i also think the way that social media works is kind of fucking crazy too because like um for starters, like everybody sees a completely different world when they look on their phone, right? Like if if we swapped phones for a day and I like 
looked at all your social feeds and you looked at all my social feeds, like we'd just feel like we're living in completely different realities. Yeah. Um, so there's that. And then secondly, uh, <clears throat> I feel like, like social media's prime directive is to serve you ads, right? Like that's how these things make money is they sell mm -hmm. ads to people and then they show those ads to consumers or people using the, the platforms and then that's how they, they monetize. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so it's not like there's a person behind those platforms being like, oh, we want to serve Chroma another ad right now and hey we want to sort of build this ad at this time or whatever like it's all ai driven yeah um and pretty much i think what the ai has figured out is if they just like slam people who have opposing opinions into each other head on they'll both stay engaged with the app for longer and therefore be able to be served more ads so i think that's why there's all, so much like divide these days too right it's like this wow, ai yeah, system I that's just trying to like monetize these platforms it's just going like fucking slam these people together constantly yeah. so they're constantly fighting i that's and a, therefore constantly staying on the app so we can like in the sidebar as they argue with each other show them ads yeah. <laughs> that's a that's a very interesting uh connection i didn't even i, I didn't even consider that connection but did I, like, you I guarantee you, you that's what's happening. Had you just had you just thought of that like it, when when considering it or when thinking about it? I uh, no, I thought about this like a, a long time ago. I, I thought okay. it was pretty obvious. To, like, as yeah, yeah, no. I mean, now that you mention it, I mean, you know, it probably is. You know, very obviously doing that. Yeah, I mean, like you get almost every time I go on Twitter, I see something that pisses me off. Right. Or like, <laughs> yeah. um, but if I, if I look at somebody else's Twitter, which I've like, you know, I'll like every now and then my girlfriend will be looking at Twitter and I'll like glance at her screen, like yeah. nothing pisses me off. I'm like, this is whatever. Like, I don't even understand half of the context of the tweets that I'm seeing on her screen. Like, yeah. how could I be angry at any of that? Yeah. But then like, <laughs> I look at my one and I'm like, that is the wrong opinion. <laughs> yeah. They're <laughs> like, like, we know how to give bill. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, the AI software has has got you figured out, and they're just gonna feed you everything that pisses you off, so that they can monetize every second of your attention. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's crazy. Um, it's it's yeah, terrifying. I, mean, I think in that way, like the news that we get on the internet is has got to be taken with a grain of salt too, because like, for all you know, it's just the AI fucking trying to feed you bullshit to keep you on the app so you can get served more ads. I wonder how many like artificial intelligence articles were just created like just to piss people off. Like it's probably just like like a total totally false news story posted by like an an AI program that's just <laughs> learning what to pit, like what to to post to piss people off. I don't think it's doing that. I mean, that might be <laughs> happening to some degree. I'd be surprised <laughs> if that was happening, but I think more yeah. or less what's happening is like somebody will develop um, it. <laughs> yeah probably yeah. what i think more or less is happening is like some article that is like real and does exist but is like you know controversial to certain people yeah um will then just get shown to those certain people that yeah. it is controversial to realistically i'm that's i i imagine that's probably how it would work yeah yeah well fuck man um i'm gonna go eat because i just woke up and like didn't started yeah I, like i woke up late as i said and was like shit i gotta do this podcast <laughs> and then yeah 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 no worries man. Be some. i'm really hungry for but, sure uh, man it was awesome having you on thanks for taking the time yeah man absolutely i love this podcast so i was stoked to do this and uh yeah thank you so much for having me man yeah of course
Hey, thanks for listening to the Mr. Bill podcast. These episodes are edited and uploaded by Robert Fumo. You can also support the show, get early access to episodes and hear bonus content by going to patreon.com forward slash Mr. Bill's tunes and becoming a patron. Uh, Please rate and review on iTunes unless you're going to be a little shit about it. And all the links to my various platforms are at mrbillstunes.com. Thank you.